the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you all week this week from 3 to 4. News Talk 710 KNUS. Welcome to the program. Good to have you along for the ride in a jam-packed show today. Lots to get into and talk about, including some breaking news regarding former Mesa County clerk and recorder Tina Peters, who, reading from the Colorado Sun, just breaking this afternoon, has filed a federal lawsuit as of yesterday seeking to halt state, local, and federal criminal investigations and prosecutions against her in the, the alleged security breach of her county's election system in 2021. We'll get to some of that news and why this lawsuit doesn't take a lawyer to recognize it as bunk and it is absurd and it is going absolutely nowhere. Also coming up, bottom of this hour, it looks like we will be joined by State Representative Rose Puglisi, who is the assistant minority leader. We have the legislature heading into a special session this weekend, starting on Friday, expected to go through the weekend regarding property taxes. And Republicans have just put out their proposal, their plan for what to do. She should be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Our telephone number, though, later on when we open up the phones is 303 696 1970 one, if you'd like to join in to the festivities, we also, of course, have the opportunity to text in on the show on the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone. Name in town, name in town, if you wish to text in, please. And, of course, a couple ways to email yours truly, 24-7-365. One, go to 710KNUS.com and to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page, number two. JimmySangenberger.com, my website. You can email me there. Remember, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is easy. So there was a debate held at Colorado Christian University just a few weeks ago. And it was very striking to see the results per Jeff Hunt, the leader of the Centennial Institute, of course. Debate at Colorado Christian University, he tweeted. Is it in the best interest of the United States to defend Taiwan? In-person students polled afterwards, no, 56.8%. Yes, 43.2%. Young conservatives seem to be weary of foreign entanglements. I saw those poll results and I was concerned, especially having visited Taiwan last year as part of an international press tour and experienced the country in a number of different ways. And it was fascinating and I learned a lot and I understood much more the significance strategically, economically and otherwise to U.S. interests in the region and 
and the globe writ large. Now, as President Biden meets today with Chinese ruler Xi Jinping, this issue of Taiwan becomes all the more important. To talk about the subject of Taiwan and the Biden-Xi meeting going on, I'm pleased to be joined by Kelly Sloan, who is a columnist for Colorado Politics and a public affairs consultant, all-around good guy who understands the issues of Taiwan quite well. In fact, he was in Taiwan even longer than I was late last year as well. Kelly, welcome back to 710 KNUS. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Before we get into this poll, you were at the debate. I was not. Um, When we get into the the issues, we will in in a few moments. I want to talk to you big picture about the Biden-Xi meeting that is going on, because this is a pretty big deal. It's happening now in San Francisco, where, of course, they have been cleaning up the streets quite, quite nicely for Xi Jinping and Biden to come for their visit. Big picture, what do you make of this meeting? Well, I mean, I think it's obviously coming at a pretty important time. In terms of policy, the Biden administration hasn't been terrible on on the defensive side. Uh, On the trade side, it's, you know, been, uh, I think they've been pretty, uh, uh, pretty weak and not not just obviously with this meeting, uh, but all the previous high level meetings that uh, the administration has had with high-level Chinese officials. Uh, Janet Yellen, of course, was there. Uh, John Kerry, essentially pleading for a uh, uh, some kind of climate deal with China. And with all these meetings, and my biggest concern with this one, and you know, we're seeing it in some of the concessions that President Biden's already making on uh, uh, digital trade, is you know just how desperate is the Biden administration to make some kind of a trade deal or some kind of uh, economic breakthrough or detente, if you will, with with China. Uh, Desperation is never a good negotiating position, and that's what all of diplomacy is, uh, whether it's uh, trade or military treaties or, uh, uh, you know, simply status of uh, uh, diplomatic status. It's not a very good position, and it kind of leads you to wonder what will they be willing to give up? You know, will they be willing to give up uh, security assurances to Taiwan or arms sales to Taiwan? Uh, will they be willing to give up further trade concessions down the road? Will they be willing yeah. to give up Maui? Well, so one that, of, that, that's my biggest concern. One of the things, though, that some folks with uh, impeccable credentials, in fact, are arguing in regards to detente or this idea, we're using the term detente, but The idea is that not only does the U.S. have a desire to resolve some things with China with the tensions that have been going on, but it's also the case that the Chinese Communist Party and Xi Jinping with their economy in a very struggling position. We've seen their real estate market crater, a number of other issues that they've been enduring. It increasingly seems in China's best interest to reach some sort of a detente with the United States at this point. So they would argue that the U.S. is actually in a pretty good negotiating position because China needs this more than the U.S. even does. What do you think? We are in a very good negotiating position. Uh, my point is I don't think we're taking advantage of it. Uh, when when John Kerry went right. over there, he essentially, you know, he uh, laid everything on, on the table. I mean, he he came across as being desperate for a climate deal. Now, granted, that's his job, I suppose, yes. as, as envoy. But uh, 
but my point is we are or should be in a very good negotiating position with with China. Uh, their economy uh, is stagnant. I don't think it's it's shrinking yet. Uh, they had numbers just come out that it it is uh it is stagnant. Um, which I mean I I wrote back when uh, Mr. Kerry did visit that you know that. <laughs> I'm not sure what he expected. Uh, the Chinese government, Chinese Communist Party, for quite some time has uh, indicated that they're not going to sacrifice their economy for, you know, the the greater good, if you if you will, for uh, uh, any kind of climate uh, uh, climate agreement. They're opening coal-fired fired power plants, uh, hundreds of them. Uh, so I'm not sure what we were expecting to get out of that. I'm not, and I'm not sure what President Biden is expecting. To get either, he he went over. You may recall one of, I I believe President Trump's biggest mistakes uh, in terms of trade and foreign policy was pulling out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yeah, that he that has I turned have... out. I I was a little bit more like ambivalent about that, but in retrospect, it turned out to be a bad idea. And I want you. To, I'm I'm interrupting in part to ask you to elaborate on why that was a mistake in your view. Sure. Well, what, what the what the treaty did? Uh, well, for first of all, it was one of the best uh, trade deals that uh, American agriculture had ever uh, ever hammered out. Uh, but more particularly, more importantly, it it was a, a Pacific trade deal for all the Pacific Rim countries, excluding China. Uh, now, that was a way for you know all all the Western oriented and all the uh, non communist uh, uh, countries in, in the Indo Pacific to be able to begin to isolate China economically and maintain uh, alternate uh, supply chains, you know, try and reduce our, our economic dependence on China, which un- unmistakably we are uh, uh, obviously very closely tied, tied to their economy, uh, which is not necessarily in our best interest. Uh, there were some issues, I understand, you know, I, I get it with the with the treaty, you know, coming from a conservative point of view, there was a lot of fluff in there that uh, uh, I don't think was ne- necessary, but uh, from a strategic or geopolitical point of view, it was a huge mistake for the United States to, put, to pull out of that, uh, which I, I played into China's favor. Now, the uh, replacement that uh, Joe Biden, Joe Biden is not, uh, his administration has not made any move to uh, re-engage the United States in the follow-up to uh, the, the TPP. Um, they did formulate their own Indo-Pacific trade, uh, trade agreement, the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, IPEF. Uh, which itself has a couple of problems. First of all, it excludes Taiwan, as did TPP, but uh, it excludes Taiwan, which I think is an egregious error on, uh, for many reasons. Uh, secondly, it's pretty toothless. There are no provisions in IPEF for tariff reductions or, or uh, gaining market access, which is what free trade is all about. And then uh, there was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal this morning talking about how Biden has even further weakened it uh, right. By making concessions to China on on digital trade, and, uh, uh, again at, at the behest largely of uh, American progressive groups and American uh, uh, labor. Uh, so again, that's my that's my biggest fear is that we should be in a very good negotiating position when we're dealing with China. Uh, but this yeah. I think kind of inherent fear that we have of sure. saber rattling, uh, I think it's holding us back. My argument is that there's a time and place for rattling a saber a little bit, and and I think I think this is one. Kelly Sloan joining as columnist at Colorado Politics. Let's talk about the significance strategically 
and economically as far as trade is concerned of Taiwan. But let's go even further and take a step back. You were at the debate that happened a couple weeks ago at Colorado Christian University on the question, is it in the best interest of the United States to defend Taiwan? And 56.8% of in-person students polled afterwards said no. What do you make of that statistic, especially having been there at the debate and seen the exchange? Well, William Ruger, he's the uh, the gentleman who was arguing in the negative, arguing that uh, it's not in America's interest to defend Taiwan. Uh, he's a very skilled debater, uh, for one thing. He's uh, uh, seasoned at this, and he's coming at it not from you know the traditional flower child, you know, uh, peace at all costs, uh, you know, pacifist point of view. He's coming at it from you know the libertarian kind of more more traditional isolationist. Uh, it's not really our concern uh, uh, point of view, which you know has traditionally um, appealed to to a lot a lot on the right. Of course, the uh, Republican Party of the uh, 1930s had a large isolationist element to it, and for good reason. It, it kind of harkens back to you know John Quincy Adams, uh, who elucidated American foreign policy back in the early 1800s as you know we uh, we are friends of freedom everywhere, but uh, defenders of only of our own. And it's not in America's interest, uh, and I quote, to seek out uh, monsters to slay. Uh, his point, of course, being that you know, a, a healthy foreign policy for a nation like the United States was not to go out and get involved in every knit and wiggle every, in every corner of the world. That uh, was not working out very well for Europe at the time, which is embroiled in, in uh, the Napoleonic Wars. He could make that assessment because the United States, you know, the nascent nation, was uh, protected on both sides by very wide oceans. And we, uh, and I, to a large extent, agree with that. I'm, I, I'm more John Quincy Adams than I am Woodrow Wilson, uh, who, of course, advocated, uh, you know, spreading democracy around around the world as a as a foreign policy. So I do fall more into that camp. The problem, I believe, that uh, uh, people like uh, like Mr. Ruger make when they're trying to make this uh they don't call it isolationist they, they've changed the term to restraint or rest restrainers but the, the argument they make is they seem to forget that uh in the uh, interstices between 1821 and today we invented the airplane and cruise missiles and all sorts of uh, satellite technology we've entered the space age that has shrunk the world uh, not you know not just you know in terms of communication and and the economy but strategically as well uh, we can no longer afford, and I think the 20th century taught us that, we can no longer afford to leave defenses simply being, you know, guarding, guarding the gates. Guarding the gates now means being somewhat proactive. Now, I will agree, and I think a lot of what you see when, uh, you know, in some of these, uh, these polls and uh, debate results, like, like you saw at CCU, you know, I, I think there is a, a certain fatigue on the part of the American people, you know, that we, we send the Marines everywhere for everything. And and, and I do get that. And I think there have been, uh, uh, certainly under the Clinton presidency, there I think there was a, uh, you know, desire, kind of an appetite for using American power in places that wasn't entirely thought out. Uh, uh, Somalia may have been an example, for, for instance. Uh, but I do think that uh, it's a rather short-sighted view that doesn't take into account the lessons of the 20th century, the uh, uh, ideological aggression 
and genocides that uh, sure uh, pose uh, Kelly Sloan threats to the West. I, I, I agree with that, but I really want to also zero in rather than just the big picture sort of approach to foreign policy specifically to Taiwan. Because you and I are both on the same page 100% that there is significant strategic importance and trade importance, economic importance to Taiwan. But you make a point in your column last week in the Denver Gazette that there were a few questions that weren't really answered in this debate. What is our national interest in Taiwan? Is Taiwan indeed vital to our strategic position for that matter, what does constitute a vital interest in the nuclear age? Without going too much into depth, how would you fundamentally answer those questions? Why does Taiwan matter fundamentally, Kelly Sloan? So there's, there's two ways to answer this. And obviously the first one is economic, which did come up, that you know we, we depend on Taiwan for the uh, uh, economic, particularly for the uh, production of uh, semiconductors. The uh, uh, ninety, you know, ninety percent of the highest end semiconductors are produced in in Taiwan. Uh, in addition to that, roughly sixty percent, I believe that's the number of of world trade goes through the Taiwan Strait. I don't think we want either. Wait, either wait, 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 wait. Uh, let's hands. let's really emphasize that sixty percent of the world's trade right. goes through Taiwan Strait. Absolutely, yes. Um, and, this kind of leads into my second point strategically, where you just have to look at the map. But if you look at if you look at the map, uh, it, it makes sense. And yes, sixty percent of your uh, uh, container ships are passing through uh, the Taiwanese uh, Strait. I think that number also includes ones going on the other side of Taiwan as well. In any case, uh, a strait or a passage that is uh, you know essentially controlled by uh, a de facto independent Taiwan. Uh, so economically. The, the, I think the case is very easy to make, but I, I think the larger, uh, the larger point, and the point I, I feel wasn't wasn't made adequately during this debate, and I, I don't feel is being made adequately uh, elsewhere, is the actual strategic importance. We need to realize that uh, uh, the People's Republic of China is an adversary of the United States. They have uh, irredentist ambitions, definitely, as we saw in Hong Kong and that we see towards Taiwan. They also have expansionist ambitions uh, for various reasons, uh, economic, ideological, uh, megalomaniac, perhaps. Um, and the one thing right now, and again, we have to – Robert Kaplan wrote a, a, a fantastic book uh, a few years back called The Revenge of Geography. And I think a lot of us, when we get into the weeds on uh, – you know, geopolitics and strategy and all this, we forget to actually look at the map. Uh, if you look at the map of, of the Western Pacific, the one thing that is keeping the People's Republic of China from having a true blue water navy, that is the a navy that's able to project power, uh, like an aircraft carrier, from sneaking one into the Pacific Ocean is Taiwan. Taiwan holds this uh, position where it's kind of uh, filling this radar gap that exists between uh, uh, Okinawa and South Korea to the north and the Philippines to the south, with Taiwan being, I'll say, de facto independent. Uh, you know, Ch China cannot sneak anything into the Pacific. We can still control the Pacific. When I was there uh, last year, we had a meeting with a, a former foreign minister, Ta Taiwanese foreign minister, and the question came up uh, of whether 
China would use nuclear weapons in any uh, any attack on on Taiwan. And uh, the answer, chillingly, was uh, that uh, Taiwan or sorry that China wants the island, not the people. And I think that's absolutely correct. Uh, they want Taiwan because it, it not only closes that gap. It you, you look at their their expansion the Spratly Islands, which are contested with uh, with the Philippines, and you know, what they're doing along there. That that great if, if China controls Taiwan, owns Taiwan, has uh, has Taiwan in, in in its in its grasp, that has expanded its influence and its presence in the Western Pacific by leaps and bounds uh, exponentially. Uh, it's it's hard to understate how how important that little island is strategically and so it's unfortunate that that message kelly sloan just isn't really getting out there too much which is one of the big reasons why i wanted to have you on i've only got about a minute left i want to ask you one brief final question and of course we we'll have you back on the station well we'll talk with you again down the line of course more about taiwan and its significance but when we look at this poll and the the results of the survey of students and you see some 57 percent of the students polled afterwards saying no and jeff hunt describes it as uh young conservatives i think he's right in this description young conservatives seem to be weary of foreign entanglements does that concern you in the context of taiwan real briefly it does uh taiwan's going to need uh the united states going to need a strong united united states uh in the event that it does face a major blockade or or invasion, uh, and I fear that it just kind of speaks to, in general, you know, this disconnect between young people and the older generations that remember uh, the com- you know, uh, the Soviet Union, that you know, re- remember the uh, uh, the twentieth century, and I fear that we are going to have to learn all those lessons all over again. Mm-hmm. And that is a very sober note to wrap up on. Kelly Sloan. I'm, I'm good at that. Columnist at Colorado Politics. I know you sure are. Always appreciate it, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us and offering some perspective today. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you. Once again, Kelly Sloan, public affairs consultant and columnist at Colorado Politics, joining us. And I think he makes some very important points in that strategic significance. Not only the 60% of the world's trade come through the Taiwan Strait. But if China controls the land of Taiwan, the value and benefit that they have in all sorts of ways grows exponentially. That should be deeply concerning. We're going to take a break. We'll pick up the conversation on the other side, and we should be joined by State Rep. Rose Puglisi as well. As we continue, Jimmy Sangenberger here with the News Talk 710 KNUS. 27 minutes before 4 o'clock. Jimmy Sangenberger back with you. News Talk 710 K-N-U-S, and folks, they're getting together, the legislature, this weekend on Friday for a special session that had been called, of course, by Governor Jared Polis after the failure, the complete and utter failure of Proposition HH, which, you know, it seemed not to even come as a surprise to Polis, and yet he had to break the glass. Okay, we're going to find out uh, what the plan is. Uh, Voters uh, said no to Prop H. We're going to see what the plan is to to figure out property tax relief. Looks like a special session. 
the property tax relief. Uh huh. Yeah, it said in case of no on HH. And then it happened. Of course, since like May, Republicans have been calling for a special session to address property taxes, but the Democrats were all hell bent on selling Prop HH, which, of course, the people of Colorado resoundingly voted down because we like our taxpayers' Bill of Rights. We love our Tabor and our Tabor refunds and that check on the all knowing, all powerful, all too happy to spend state government. Republican leaders like my guest, Assistant Minority Leader in the State House, Rose Puglisi, were advocating for a special session, and yet they had to wait until HH fell. And now, with the tight time frame, here it comes on Friday, and Republicans in the General Assembly have just released their framework for what they're proposing for this legislation to address property tax relief in the special session. And Representative Puglisi joins me now. Good afternoon. Welcome back. Oh, thanks, Jimmy. Really appreciate you having me on today. Uh, Thanks for coming on. So before we get to the specifics of this proposal, I haven't asked you yet, what is your takeaway from the break glass moment of polis the other day saying, okay, Prop HH failed, so we're doing a special session. What was your takeaway last week? Um, I mean, I've been saying, I think we've all been saying the Democrats never really had a backup plan. And so I think the whole dramatics around the special session, um, he had no choice but to call a special session. People are going to be getting their property tax bills in January. Local governments need to set their mill levies and um, determine what that, that tax amount looks like. And they can't do that. They can't even set their budgets without um, knowing what is going to happen with property tax relief. So he really had no choice, um, dramatics aside. Yeah, well, that's for sure. But it was their delay that kept you guys from being able to get to work sooner on this. So Republicans, is it an actual bill that you're putting out or is it just a framework for what you want to do? And what does it entail? Um, great question. So with a very short time frame, we were given basically 24 hours to develop a bill, um, which we kind of protested saying there wasn't, that wasn't enough time for us to do the proper stakeholding and partner um, conversations. However, within 24 hours, we had to get bill titles um, and substance of the bill in. So the Republicans decided um, that we would work on one bill And um, there's one bill in the House, one bill in the Senate, basically identical bills, except the House bill includes income tax reduction, which we feel is the solution to helping renters, um, as well as property tax owners throughout the state. And then um, really just working on what those details are to make sure that we give substantial property tax relief to the citizens of Colorado. And so when we look at what the Democrats are proposing, I'm curious, or what we expect them to propose, they haven't released anything yet. Is there much daylight between Republicans and Democrats? Is there a lot, or are they, like, mostly on board with what Republicans want to propose? Um, I'm going to say there's a few planets in between us. Um, <laughs> that sounds <Jimmy>. right. <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, these conversations have been fascinating. You know, there's only a a few people at the Capitol, a handful, 
of legislators that actually have built a budget based on property tax, right? Who are in local government and actually understand how this works. Um, and so I, I guess I had hoped that maybe they would lean on some of our expertise a little bit more. Um, I will say the communication lines have been open. We have been sharing ideas and plans. The problem is they want to continue to use Tabor refunds despite the fact that the people resoundingly said, keep your hands off of our Tabor refunds. So that'll be interesting. That's a line in the sand Republicans will not get on board with. Um, but even things like we both agree that we need a task force, but they want a legislator-driven task force, um, and we want a local government-driven task force. And the problem with the legislators being in charge is that the state gets zero dollars in property tax. So the people who are really affected, local governments that provide those essential services, are the ones that could be shut out of the conversation. And it's just wrong on so many levels. So um, it'll be interesting to see what comes forward. I believe you'll see very little property tax relief um, on the Democrats' plan, but we haven't seen all of their plans yet. I don't know, though, State Representative Rose Puglisi, if you read today's editorial from the Denver Post, you'd think otherwise. Quote, Colorado's Democrats are officially working overtime this holiday season to brace yourselves. That's their words, by the way. Brace yourselves. <laughs> Lower taxes. No hell has it frozen over. Um, are they giving the Democrats a little bit too much credit here? I kind of think they are. Depends on your definition of lower taxes. If you remember, the Democrats thought they were lowering taxes under Proposition HH. So uh, it depends on you know where you're aligned. The Republican plan that we've put forward will um, give honest and real property tax relief in the tune of about 1.37 billion dollars to property tax owners throughout Colorado. And so we think that we, we can do some substantive changes that will actually help the people who are suffering out there. So as we wrap up here, what is the plan? I mean, this is unique. It's special session. There's a tight time frame. It starts on Friday, has to go for a minimum of three days in order for all the facets that legally must be done. Obviously, you can't project all the specifics of how it's going to play out. But generally speaking, how does something like this work? Um, and, you know, I'm still a freshman legislator, so... Uh, Very true. My... That's true. Your first special session. <laughs> my first special session after a very brutal legislative session. But, um, you know, they're going to be running committees. We still encourage people to show up and get your voices heard at committee meetings. We think that um, committee hearings, I, we still think that's important. You can do it from your couch um, on Zoom, so please still get engaged. And I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people will be going to be watching the Colorado Channel this weekend, but they'll basically go through committees, um, see which bills make it through. We hope Republican bills make it through, but we'll we'll see. We seem not aligned. And then, um, and then, you know, floor. We're, we've got our floor work to do, and then um, finally our third reading. So it'll be a very abbreviated session, um, but there is no end date. So Democrats are hoping to wrap this up by Sunday or Monday. Um, we haven't seen their bills, so I, I don't know how long it will take us to be the voice of the people that we believe needs to be heard. Mm. 
We shall see. State Representative Rose Puglisi, always appreciate you taking some time. And best of luck this weekend at the special session, fighting in particular to protect Tabor as the voters of Colorado insisted that the legislature do last Tuesday. Yes, thank you, Jimmy. Really appreciate you. You as well. Thank you. Once again, State Representative Rose Puglisi, she is the Assistant Minority Leader in the House, joining us here on the program. What are your thoughts on whether it was the China-Taiwan discussion that we had with Kelly Sloan in the last segment, or what we're seeing now with this special session and the Republican plan that seems planets apart, as she just said? from the Democrats and what they're likely to propose. How about the Denver Post saying that the Democrats are working overtime this holiday season to brace yourselves? Lower taxes. Hell is not frozen over, they say. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. You can text it in the 710K News app on your smartphone. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you the rest of this week into Saturday morning, 710K News. We're back. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you, wrapping and winding down the program where the time just flies right on by. News Talk 710K News. Good to be with you. On the program, 303-696-1971, our telephone number where we have Jay in Castle Rock calling in. Good afternoon, Jay. How are you? Good, Jimmy. Hey, thanks for bringing up the point about the Democrats trying to give us our own tax dollars back. Isn't that generous of them? Uh, yes, yes, although they also would like to to grasp their hands, their greedy little hands, on some of those tax dollars this week at the exec- at the special session, even after voters said, nope, we want our Tabor refunds totally intact. Don't you touch them. <laughs> yeah, in the last check that the government, the governor sent out, he put his own name on it, signed it, and didn't even tell most people what it was really for. What a sham. Yeah, well, and not only that, they still haven't put forward their bill on what they want to do. I suspect they won't until Friday. Maybe they'll unveil it. Then maybe it'll be at the 11th hour tomorrow before the session happens. But look, Jay, they had all this time to come up with something that they wanted to put forward. And Republicans already were talking about ideas. And yet here we are. We don't know where the Democrats are actually at on this thing. Yeah, well, we can be sure that they're going to try to side their own better coffers. And this is at a time where our state is flush with cash. They have so much cash because of all the uh, things that have taken place. And they, uh, you know, Polis just keeps hiring people like mad to try to spend the money. Yeah, nope, that's there's a lot of truth in that. Although, of course, it is never, never enough. Thanks for the call, Jay. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. If you'd like to join in to the festivities in our remaining moments, some uh, breaking news earlier I teed up at the top. Tina Peters, the embattled former clerk and recorder for Mesa County. She, of course, indicted on a, a number of felony counts and a couple of misdemeanors for an alleged election security breach that took place in 
August of 2021. Well, she has filed a federal lawsuit as of yesterday seeking to halt local, state, and federal criminal investigations and prosecutions against her in that alleged breach. The 43-page lawsuit was filed against U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold, and Mesa County District Attorney Daniel Rubenstein. It claims their continued investigation into Peters violates, this is all from the Colorado Sun, by the way, violates her constitutional rights to free speech, freedom of association, and right to petition the government to redress her grievances. The lawsuit comes as Peters is scheduled to go to trial February 7th in Mesa County. A grand jury indicted her in March of 2022 on 10 counts stemming from her actions during an election software update in May 2021. Okay. I'm not going to mince words. I've covered this closely since August of 2021. I knew that the uh, a lot of these circumstances and, and facts and issues that were at play back in August and September of 2021, including the identity of the man whose of uh, of the man whose identity was used by a former professional surfer named Conan Hayes to get in to the election equipment in Mesa County, uh, a guy by the name of Gerald Wood whom I've interviewed on this station a few times before now. And I have to tell you, this lawsuit, very likely to just be dismissed, if not declared frivolous. Because this isn't just about free speech or freedom of association or right to petition. In fact, it's not at all about that. If you use somebody's identity, and we know that, whether it's a a matter of law or not, is to be determined by a jury. But we do know for a fact that the identity of Gerald Wood, Jerry Wood, was used by Conan Hayes at the behest of Tina Peters to get in there and image election equipment. We know that. So when you do that, And you have all the other issues that are tangled up in this case. I don't care what you believe about election stuff. This is not a violation of any constitutional rights to free speech association, right to petition. And any suggestion otherwise is nonsense and belies a complete, at the best, misunderstanding of the Constitution, of the First Amendment. And I will be shocked if it isn't dismissed and even if it isn't decreed to be a frivolous lawsuit because there seems quite transparently to me to be no grounds for this. So we'll see what happens, but uh, the insanity continues. Also... Some news for Denver School Board just breaking now. Uh, Tomorrow is the final meeting of the current board. That includes none other than good old Tay Anderson. Love your weekly articles about me. 
Love your weekly articles about me. That's what he told me at the day of his censure in 2021. But Anderson, coming off the board after tomorrow's meeting, technically the end of this month, as well as Charmaine Lindsay and Scott Balderman. Now, I understand from sources that Tay Anderson really had, he'd been hoping to be able to get onto the agenda the idea of uh, paying him for legal bills, helping to support his legal bills in a First Amendment case. And that will not be on the agenda. I am seeing it here. That that is not going to be on the agenda. I doubt he would have had the votes for it, quite frankly. And it would be just, well, it would be par for the course for him to still go for it anyway. But on Monday, he wanted an, an executive session for the school board to go behind closed doors to help pay for his legal bills in a lawsuit brought by a citizen against him for blocking her on social media. Well, and the whole idea was, oh, we're going to, you know, maybe bring it up for a vote tomorrow. That is not happening. However, there are outgoing board member celebrations on the agenda. First, Ayante Anderson at large, followed by Scott Balderman and Charmaine Lindsay. And you can bet your bottom dollar that Tay is going to milk it as much as he can and try and get a significant amount of time out of it. Maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. You never know with Tay Anderson. I will be there, though, tomorrow. I am planning to head down to the final DPS meeting of this board. Should be quite something because they're also going to vote to pay themselves more to give a 400% increase in board member available salaries. Uh, That will be fascinating. So after the show tomorrow, I will be heading downtown for that. It will be quite something. We'll see how long Tay's celebration goes compared to Balderman and Lindsay's. They're, they're probably going to be quite short by comparison. That's my guess. Who knows how long <laughs> they'll tr- Tay will try and milk this thing. Oh, goodness. What a topsy-turvy world we live in. Lunacy on display in Denver. Lunacy on display in Mesa County. You just can't make this stuff up. Well, that is it for me today. Tomorrow on the agenda, we've got Rabbi Jonathan Hausman out of Stoughton, Massachusetts. He is one of my absolute favorites. He's a gem. He's a fun guy to talk to when you talk some blues. But right now, we're going to be talking about some of the things related to anti-Semitism and the, the sort of tacit support from some Jews for Hamas or for the, the Palestinians. Palestinian cause. I don't know what's going on there. I want to get a better understanding. We will talk with Rabbi Hausman coming up tomorrow afternoon, 3 p.m. Be sure to tune in then for more engaging, intelligent talk, Sang style. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. Have a great rest of your day. And as always, may God bless America. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.